continuing in the book of John. But uh, before, before we go into the book of John today, uh, we will be looking at Tony Hawk. So, uh, okay, this is, uh, for those who don't know, uh, this is the famous skateboarder. Uh, he landed the 900, so two and a half uh, revolutions uh, in, in X Games in 1999. So he became kind of the household name from there. He became uh, the subject of clothing and video games that we all played on our N64s. And, uh, but nowadays, uh, he is most famous for being famous, but not famous enough to be recognized as famous. Uh, so we have some of his, uh, his tweets with us. So uh, At Tilly's with my daughter, waiting for her by the dressing room, mask on. Guy folding clothes nearby says, anyone tell you you look like Tony Hawk? Me looking over, expecting sarcasm, but realizing he's serious, you have no idea. That's cool. He's cool. Thanks. Huh? All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, at the COVID testing site, wearing masks, handing over paperwork for me and my two kids, woman looks over the papers, okay, Anthony, Keegan, Cadence, Hawk, are you guys related to Tony Hawk? Yes. Are you pulling my leg? No, we are all directly related to him. <laughs> all right, uh, TSA agent, checking the idea. Hawk, like the skateboarder Tony Hawk? Exactly. Cool, I wonder what he's up to these days. <laughs> this, all right. <laughs> all right, one last one. Uh, waiting at the airport control. Uh, guy in the next lane says, hey, I live right by you in Maryland. I live in San Diego. Oh, I thought you were the motocross guy, Travis Pastrana. <laughs> I'm a skateboarder. My name is Tony. I was close. <laughs> and then my, my favorite, every night before bed, I study a picture of Tony Hawk so that if I ever run into him in public, I will not be one of those people. <laughs> All right. So, uh, famous almost recognizable, not quite, and, and people are struggling to get there. So uh, today we're looking at this same problem in the midst of, of the Gospel of John, recognizing that, okay, there's some famous people who have hit the scene here. Here's John the Baptist. We're going to see this, this unknown person who comes, and okay, they're famous. We sort of know that who are they really? And why are they here? And we want to get the story right. We want to know who John the Baptist really is so that we can receive his message and we, we know what to expect from him. Uh, we want to know who this person he's introducing us to, this Jesus, really is so that we can respond accordingly. And we're going to learn some things. Uh, we're going to learn of who John the Baptist is and we're going to learn it's not really about who John the Baptist is. It's about him pushing us towards another, towards this Jesus, and we're to learn that he, he knows Jesus in a very unique way, that he can present him as the Lamb of God, as the baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and the very Son of God himself. That these, are, these are huge titles, and these are the core of what John the Baptist wants people to receive from him, that he knows this Jesus, and he knows all of the blessings that are found in him. So 
with that, uh, we are going to study the picture of John the Baptist so we get him right, and then we're going to study the picture of Jesus so we get him right as well. So let's look at uh, John 1, verses 19 through 34. All right. Let's read. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So he said, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would uh, help us to, to get these things right, to to understand and to know. But Father, we know in a way that leads us to great joy, to faith in Jesus Christ, and to giving you all the glory for all that you've done for us. Lord, would we know that we may love and, uh, and worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're starting with John the Baptist figuring out who this guy is. Now, first, we're going to see uh, three things he is not. But just, just the context here. Uh, so, the Jews, they've sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem asking, who are you? Now, why is that such a big deal? This is important because uh, John is a huge deal. So, he's put on uh, fur garments and a leather belt, and he's out in the wilderness acting really weird, eating locusts and honey. And he is proclaiming that everyone needs to be baptized. Now, baptism had, had a precedent there, uh, but it wasn't for Jewish people. It was for Gentiles. If Gentiles wanted to come into the Jewish community, then they would be baptized. But now, all of a sudden, this guy is saying, everyone, everyone needs to come and be baptized, repent of their sins, turn from them, and wait, wait for this one that we do not know yet. And they're coming in droves. The soldiers are coming. The tax collectors are coming. 
even the religious leaders are showing up, not necessarily to be baptized, but to, to find out, okay, what does this mean for them? And they have ideas, and they find out uh, just how wrong they are. So first, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. All right. In each of these, I'm going to give you, like, the historical background, because if you don't know that, that doesn't make any sense. Bear with me. I know this is not the most exciting thing, but this, you have to know this so that you know somewhat, like, what their headspace is, and so we know, okay, who was Christ when he did come? So, first, the Christ. All right, this is also called the Messiah. means anointed one or chosen one. It's mostly found in the prophecies of Isaiah, talking about this one who was anointed with the Holy Spirit in a very special sense. And he would come to bring peace and judgment. Chapter 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed, the tiniest of, of near broken plants, he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This Messiah, he's often associated with the, the government upon his shoulders of coming to bring peace and prosperity, of blessing the people. Now, John says, without any, any kind of confusion, he does not deny but confess, I am not the Christ. All right, so it is not who he is. Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now, we've covered a lot of Elijah and Elisha. We just wanted this series through them. And, all right, why would they think he would be Elijah? There's a prophecy from Malachi 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. All right. So Elijah would return, and he'd be this reconciler before the final judgment. Now, it makes sense that they would think he was Elijah. Okay, he is, he's put on Elijah's clothing and gone out into the wilderness where Elijah lived, hanging out by the Jordan River, and is proclaiming repentance, and it sounds very much like this message. Now, this is tough because he first, he looks a lot like John the Baptist, or it uh, looks like a lot like Elijah, and Jesus says that he is Elijah. So, verse 13 here. Uh, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right. So, Jesus says that this is Elijah. He looks a lot like Elijah, but John is saying he's not. All right. Why, why is he doing this? Uh, because I think he could be Elijah in two senses. 
And the first sense would be really wrong and is probably what the Jewish leaders are expecting. Throughout this whole thing, they, there's so many times where the Jewish leaders are, believe in a, a literal fulfillment and they have certain expectations of God and they come to see if those misconceptions are being carried out and it's just, no, that's not how God has done it. So, remember, Elijah didn't die. He was carried up by a chariot of fire. And the thought was, well, okay, he went up alive. Malachi says he's going to come back. It must be the exact same guy who's going to come. And he's going to come on a fiery chariot and come down, and then he will come to bring final judgment and, and reconcile all things. Now, what is John saying? He's saying, no, I was born. I'm not the reincarnation of, of Elijah. Because it's not this literal fulfillment. And he doesn't want to be pigeonholed into all the things they expected that Elijah to do. They would come and establish the kingdom, and he'd come, and it'd be the great day of the Lord, and the Messiah would come, and things would kind of be rolled up and wrapped up, and there's nothing left to do. And so he says, no. No, I'm not that Elijah. Luke 1 clarifies exactly who, who he was and in what sense he was Elijah. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the, par- of, the, of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. All right, so he came in, in spirit and the power of Elijah. In that sense, he is Elijah, but not in the flesh, not the actual man. Now, some people, mm, I'm not going to go there. All right, go. All right, let's continue. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. All right, this is not, are you a prophet? This is the, the prophet. The prophet is a special term from the Old Testament uh, it comes from Deuteronomy 18, and it's talking about Moses. And says, okay, Moses is a, a quintessential prophet. He, first, he ushered in this great salvation, the Exodus. He spoke face to face with God. The first five books of the Bible were written by him. It's a huge deal, but Deuteronomy 18 says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them, speak to them all that I command him. So they were waiting for a, a second greater Moses who would bring with them all of the salvation of the Exodus and revelation equivalent to that that Moses brought in the Pentateuch. They're all their favorite Bible passages. And John the Baptist says, no, no, I'm not that guy. I'm a prophet. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the final word. I'm not the one who's going to bring all these things to close. All right. Now, why do you care about what all that stuff I just said? You don't inherently, which is okay. If you're a Bible nerd, then you, do, you need care and maybe, okay. Uh, there's a reason they like these three people. 
these three people uh, come in great power. They come at the, at the very close. And as they think about these three people, they think, well, okay, these are the people who are going to wrap everything up and bring us back into power, bring us back to our great kingdom, and the story will be over, and we will have won. And so, of course, they're, they're looking for these three. But the problem is that they've missed the, the larger trajectory of Scripture. And John will actually condemn them for this. That they want the, they want the big power players to come because they think that when they come, God is going to be on their side. And when judgment comes, it's going to be against all of their enemies and they are going to be brought to spaces of, of authority and rule. And the reality is that they're deceived. They shouldn't want the final judgment to become because he says, Matthew 3, 7, But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. What are you saying? I'm not here, to, I'm not here to, to lift you up and make you think that, to bring your kingdom and give you your gold star. No. And you think that you're Abraham's son. God could make a bunch of rocks. Abraham's son, you need to repent and you need to change and you need to be put on a completely different course. You're not ready for the final judgment. And so he had to break their expectations. He had to shatter their egos. He had to give them a different picture of what is coming before them. Now, as I speak to you all, okay, what does that mean for you? All right. We could possibly be arrogant and think that we, we know what God is doing. Or we think that maybe we are, we're the good ones. And, you know, if judgment came, then we're all set. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Just because you're here doesn't mean you're all set for judgment. Or just because you can find other people that you're not as bad as doesn't mean you're all set for judgment. Right. And so, they have to get it wrong, and they have to be challenged, and they have to be given a larger picture of what really is in store for them. And so, he does not kind of associate him with any of these names. Instead, uh, verse 22. So they said to him, Who are you? Notice, we need to give an answer to those who sent us, not because we want to know. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is a kind of, this is a slightly more interesting passage. And I'll read it in full because it, it pushes them. 
A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Lord God, Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, this is a better prophecy because it's not preparing for a Messiah. It's not preparing for a prophet. No, he's, he's preparing the people for God himself. God come down in all of his glory, revealing himself to them, standing in their midst. And recognizing, this is not what you think it is. This is not just someone to make your life better. This is someone who's going to be devastatingly holy and glorious. And when he shows up, there better be a perfect path for him. All right, you better get to work. Because the God of the universe is coming to, to put you to the test. And he is not going to want to see valleys and mountains. He wants the path straight and clean and perfect before him. All right, he's trying to put the, the fear of the Lord in them, literally. But it's like that one. You are not prepared to see God. And that's why, that's why he, he says it this way. Now, like I said, they don't want to hear the message. They want to put him in the right categories. And just to prove this, they continue their questioning. And this time, with a tinge of cynicism, they, they ask him to, to prove his credentials here. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing you if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? How are you qualified to be doing all of this baptism and to be leading people in repentance if you're not even anyone special? They want to make sure that he's qualified. Even as he's just told them, like, Dad, weren't you listening? God is coming. Who cares who I am and if I'm qualified? And that's what he says to them. He answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. What does he say? He says, it's not about me. It never was about me. And the point is, there's someone who's going to come, and it's going to change your life radically. And if you're not ready for him, he's going to, to plow through and over. He's going to, if you miss him, you will have missed the most important thing that ever happened in the universe. This is someone who is so worthy of glory and honor Someone so far beyond my authority and your authority, my honor and glory. Now, as we 
as we think about that. Yahweh in our midst. God before us. All right, what do we do? Do you look inside yourself and see the, the need for repentance and change to be washed clean? Even if it's just water, for something. Something to cover you in the midst of all of your sin. Or like the Pharisees, you look around to other people and you, how dare you say I'm not good enough? How, how dare you say that I'm not as good as other people? Of course I'm going to heaven. Of course I'm doing, like, the kingdom's going to come and I'm going to be on top. All right, we have to face with the reality that we have to prepare ourselves for his coming. And if you have not, you are foolish and presumptuous. We all are foolish and presumptuous if we're not preparing ourselves to receive him. All right. So, this takes us then, okay, so we know who John the Baptist is. He's this one who's introducing us to, to behold God coming to us. But now we get to find out who that is. Verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I come baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John finally introduces this man that was unknown and that they've been waiting for. And once again, he doesn't use the titles they expected. He doesn't say, behold the Christ who comes to, to bring his kingdom. They don't say, behold the prophet who's come to give the final word before the, the judgment of all things. Now he says, behold the Lamb of God. Which actually is virtually meaningless. This is not a messianic title. This is not anything that's prophesied. If the, if the Pharisees had heard this, they would say, like, who, who is this? And why should we be excited? They, they didn't need a lamb of God. All right, they had plenty of lambs. They had the lambs of the Passover, all right, that they killed every year. Remember the, the passing over of the destroyer. They had the lambs that were killed in the Day of Atonement. The blood that would be shed on the, the Holy of Holies and, you know, that, that was enough. That was fine. They thought they needed a king who would rule and give them victory. They thought they needed a prophet who would come and teach them new things because who couldn't use a little more knowledge or And yet, here it is. When God planned to be with his people, he comes as a lamb. 
He comes as one to take away their sins. Eternal, omnipotent, light of the world. Come to take away sins. All right, when you think of that, that great title of Jesus, are you excited about it? You love it. I think there's part of us, yes, says yes, and other part of us, like, God, I'm a little disappointed because you could have sent something better. That's not the present I wanted this year, or that's the present that you keep sending me, and, you know, I could use, I could use a divinely appointed doctor instead, or, or a better financial advisor, or, a, you know, a, a perfect politician who could make things a little better for my life, a life coach, or a personal trainer. Like, there's people we'd be more excited about him sending than the Lamb of God. And in our heart of hearts, we can feel that. And I just want to remind you first, like, it's not that God just chose, like, you know, this is the present I want to give, even if you don't want it. There's those people who, who give you things and they're like, you wanted this, I didn't want this. I didn't even need this. All right, remember, this is Jesus who, like, his muddy sandal is more glorious than John the Baptist. And he comes with, like, all authority and power, and I'm sure he would have rather come as, like, the great triumphant king to just destroy everyone, but no, that wasn't what we needed. That wouldn't be love, and so he comes as the Lamb of God because that is... That is his great humility. That is his humiliation. That is his sacrifice. Don't think this is God giving himself a one-up. This is, this is what we most need. All right. So, is this good news to you? The Lamb of God come to take away your sins. First, all right, let's talk about sin. All right, think about your life and your sins. All right, every fight you have ever had had a root of sin to it. As you look around and look at the people around you, if there's any animosity or bitterness or weirdness, it's because of sin. If you... Like to, to the extent that you feel ill-content and joyless and angry or guilty and hiding and ashamed, that's sin. As you look out into the world and see the, the pain and the suffering and the sorrows, sin. As you feel like the burdening weight of like your failure and your inability, that is sin. As we're both like captivated and yet constantly let down or think we can see but are actually blind and foolish and make fools of ourselves and mistreat the people that we love, oh, that is sin. Every time we keep running and running and keep hitting a wall, that is sin. 
Right, sin is that thing that you think you love and is pulling you down into hell. Eternal wrath and judgment forever. And yet you think it's your favorite thing. All right, that is the reality of sin. It is constantly destroying us and burdening us. And so as we talk, like, oh, the Lamb of God... All right, as we grow in our hatred of sin, we grow in our love for the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And we love this one who would see us and deliver us because sin is not just this bad thing. This is, this is proving that we hate God and don't want the Lamb of God, don't want the light, love the darkness. And yet, who does he become for us? He becomes that very Lamb of God to be judged in our place to take all that sin upon himself. And not just this symbolic picture of a stupid animal who can't actually pay for sins, but no, like the, the real God paying the real price and offering his real blood and his real death in our place. The Lamb of God. Praise God that John saw Jesus and didn't first say Messiah or prophet. He said the Lamb of God. Come to bear our sins. But, this is, there's a lot going on here. So let's keep going. This was supposed to be two sermons, but then I got sick, so I got to, yeah, so it became one. All right. <laughs> All right, what else does he see? He saw the Spirit descend upon him. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. All right? So he is the Lamb of God. He is the one filled with the Holy Spirit and baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Now we know that that means, okay, he's, he's the Christ. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. All right, that's awesome, but why is that such a big deal? I'm going to give two reasons. First, this ensures that the Lamb of God stays the Lamb of God. That Jesus, he was fully human, he was also fully God, but fully human, and he lived as a fully human person who had to perfectly obey all of God's commandments and do everything that we couldn't do in our place for his whole life, all the way unto his completely unjust murder. All right, he was filled with the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit could draw him into temptation that he needed to be tempted with in our place. They would take him to people who needed to be loved, give them power to do it, that he might love in our place. Every time we fail, Jesus did not. That he might be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he might obey God every single time. And so that when he meets death on the cross, he can do so as the perfect Lamb of God who can give not just a payment for sin, but also give His perfection to us. 
all of his holiness and righteousness, all of his obedience, all of his checking the list of the law, he can hand that to us and say, you are covered. There's a second reason that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. John, this whole time, he's saying, I just baptize with water. I baptize with water. It's it's mere symbolism. It's still water. It doesn't do anything. It's supposed to be the symbol that, yes, you are, just, you know, his baptism is different than our baptism. We're not going to talk about our baptism, just his. His his was just a thing that was like, you need to recognize that you are a major sinner and say that you hate it and try, but it can't save you and it's not going to give you any power. All I'm doing is dunking people in water and that's all it does. But then he sees this one anointed with the Holy Spirit and what does he say? This one before me, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so not only does he die for our sins and give us his perfection, what does he do? He becomes the fountainhead of the Holy Spirit for everyone who believes in him. So Jesus, so filled with the Holy Spirit, becomes this this one who pours out the Spirit upon us. So that we have power to battle sin and actually be victorious. So that we have real conviction of sin and can see this thing that used to be invisible and used to used to be elusive, and now we can see it and it's everywhere. Now we know sin. He teaches us to hate it. He teaches us to love Christ. He gives us the the gifts that we need to go and minister in his name. He empowers us to live as Christ did. So that we are both vicariously covered for all of our sins by the blood of the Lamb and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to gradually battle and defeat sin in real time, in real life, in the events of life. That's, that's a huge deal. And I remind us, if you need that power, if you need like someone to, to help you and support you, if you need the Holy Spirit, go to Jesus. Jesus is the one who fills us with the Spirit. He is the one who empowers us by His Spirit. Don't go get a butterfly net and try to catch the Holy Spirit. Right? You're not going to do it. Jesus has him. He's the third person of the Trinity, so it's not like he's it's not like that, but he's filled with him. And he wants to empower us and give us what we need. That's one of his 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 jobs, his titles. And finally, you can feel John kind of like I have completed the message. I've, I've given my testimony. I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is God himself. 
And how remarkable that the Son of God, holy God, the Word, the one who upholds all things in the universe, the one by who, through whom, and for whom all things were made, the one who is life and light, who could come and just wipe us out in his utter holiness, comes first as the Lamb of God and the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. How great that they didn't just get the prophet or the Messiah, they didn't just get the, the end of days or judgment. No, that they got Jesus Christ in all of his fullness who died and was resurrected for our sins. May we also not miss him. May we run to him, love him, need him, and rejoice in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for John the Baptist and his ministry. We thank you that you have revealed the Messiah, the prophet, to be the Lamb of God. Father, would our sins be, be washed away through the work of Jesus Christ? Would we put our faith in Him? Would we trust in His death to cover us? Lord, if there is anyone here who does not, has not received your Lamb of God, I ask that they would call out to him, that they would believe in him, trust him, and rely upon him to cover their sins. Father, we ask that you would uh, fill us with the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit dwells within us when we put our faith in Christ, but would we be empowered and filled by that Holy Spirit? Would we submit to him let him guide us, that we may be victorious over sin, little by little, moment by moment. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus and his, uh, his ever working in us. Would he be glorified, and would you be glorified? In his name we pray, in Christ's name.